I don't know about you, but I've been in these series, and uh, we, started, we started last, well, a, a few months back, we started doing the uh, spiritual warfare, and I think I learned something about spiritual warfare. I don't want to preach on spiritual warfare again, because I feel like as I was preaching it, it was like, okay, you're going to talk about this, we're going to test you in it, you know? And uh, man, it was just crazy to think how, how each week things would escalate in my life, and so now I've come to a place where we're, we're preaching on distraction and good gravy. I'm telling y'all to sit down and try to pray, to sit down and try to read my word, to sit down and talk to my wife. No, that's easy. I can do that all day long. That's, that's easy. I can I always remember everything you say, babe. Don't forget that. <laughs> distraction somehow finds a way to creep in and divert your attention off the things that you what to pay attention to. How many of y'all know what distraction feels like daily? Daily, daily. And so when I think about distraction, I started to look through the Word, and uh, because I, I want to be honest with you guys. Let me just be clear. Like, when I study my, the Bible, when I read the Word, I have a problem because I have to Really study, study, study it, right? I just, and I have to tell myself, Scott, it's okay just to read, man. It's, it's okay just to read one verse today. It's okay to do that, but not me. My mind is always thinking, I need to do an essay on these last three chapters. I need to break this out. I need to read the lexicon. And I need to go, you know, and I'm thinking, Scott, just slow down. The Lord just wants you to read and spend time. And so because I have such this high view, I think me and Trevor are the same way, high view, let's get in here, let's do it the best way we can possibly know. Since I don't have time to do it the way I want to do it, I sometimes don't do it. I sometimes skip my word that day because I know I didn't have what I needed to do what I needed. Is, is, it, is, it, just, is it just your pastor that's transparent and honest or is anybody else say, oh, I've been there too? I've been there too. I've walked past that nightstand a couple times and said, I'm coming back to you, Lord. I've laid down next to my, my nightstand at, at, at home, my bed, and said, tomorrow morning. You know, have you ever done it before? And there's a guilt that comes with that. Is there not? Some of y'all unsaved people here said, nope, there's no, there's no problem with that. I ain't got no issue with that. And so when I think about the Word of God and how easy it is for us to be distracted, I think it's simple for us to say, that we're distracted because we get distracted about a lot of things we care about. We get distracted um, uh, from our kids and we should be paying attention to them. It doesn't mean we love them less, right? It just means we're distracted. And sometimes we're distracted about the things that we care about the most. That, that seems to be a reason why we have to pay more attention to it. And so when I started looking through the word uh, for just the word distracted, I only found one story. I only found one time in the word of God that the word distracted appears, even in, the, even in the Greek definition of it all, one time. And I thought, Lord, this can't be right. <laughs> can't be right that, that you've only mentioned distraction one time. Uh, but specifically, he addresses it. And so I think it's important for us to, to address it this morning and read into it. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. You've probably heard this before. Matter of fact, Elizabeth said this morning that they actually are teaching this in in, um, uh, in kids' church this morning. So I know the Lord has it on our hearts or, or on our ears this morning for sure. Luke 10, 38 to 42, you've read this story, no doubt, probably multiple times. It is the story of Mary and Martha. And it reads, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and as a woman named Martha 
welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted, there it is, distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Father in heaven, I ask you today, Lord, your word is so easily something we can become distracted from. Because I know the enemy, God, knows how important your word is. Sit at your feet to hear your voice, to know what you're speaking. Not just your written word, but, Father, even your word and prayer. Sometimes our prayer, God, is filled with volumes of, of superfluous words, Lord. We talk, but we don't always listen. And so I pray, God, today that you would help us, Lord, to steal our minds and our hearts and understand, God, the importance of focusing and sitting at your feet. Most importantly, that we sit at your feet and hear what you have to say, not just with your, your mouth, but, Father, with your heart. Let us have likeness with your heart. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me just kind of give you the setting. This is Bethany. This is the historical setting that we're looking at. And so Jesus is coming in to the countryside. Bethany is about two miles. It's actually on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And so Jesus is about to go into this leg of his ministry. In fact, it's the last six months of his life. And he's going into a teaching ministry. And so he's not doing many miracles. Matter of fact, I think during Luke's portion of Scripture right here where he's talking about this, there's about four miracles that he does uh, and he's already done 26. And so he's really talking about all these things that matter. And I think over the next 10 chapters, Jesus touches about 30-plus different topics. So Jesus is teaching in the book of Luke. That is the context. That is the emphasis here. But before he begins, he stops at the house of Martha and Mary. This is where he begins. And, and this is a, a place he would come back to later on. But what we see as he stops here earlier in chapters, is that not everybody is welcoming Jesus in. This is still real close to Jerusalem, and people don't like Jesus in Jerusalem. <laughs> they're not fans. They're talking about him. All the Pharisees and the Sadducees are there, and so they're spreading a lot of negativity and slander. We talked about that last week, um, and distraction via slander. And here Jesus is coming into the town of Bethany, and Martha welcomes him in. Now, not, like I said, not all places are welcoming. In fact, Jesus, when he sends the 72 out, he says, if they don't receive you, then knock the dust off your feet. Keep on going. He says in Luke 10, 13, he says, woe to you, Teresan and Bethsaida. These are um, villages who rejected wholeheartedly the word of God. And not only that, but um, there's a, a part in chapter 9, you guys have read this and heard this before, where uh, James and John, the sons of thunder, right? They come into a village. They don't receive the word of God. They don't receive Christ. And he says, Lord, let's bring down fire and melt these people. And, and the Lord says, you know, easy. And so, uh, so what we know is that there is a real desire for people to not receive Jesus, to not welcome Jesus. But this is not the case with Martha. Martha has a desire, just like you and I have a desire. Our distractions 
typically always have a desire. There's something that we're trying to do, but we run across a problem uh, keeping us from being able to do it. So Luke 10.38 says this, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered the village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Welcomed him. And it wasn't just a simple receiving. It was a, uh, the Greek word is a, uh, well, I can't pronounce it without spitting all over myself, but it really just means uh, overly accepted or, or eagerly accepted, eagerly received, almost to the point of a party and a fiesta, but not all the confetti, right? And so they receive Jesus. She's, she's happy for him to be there. That means she knows who he is. She knows what he's there to do. He's there to do one thing, and that is to preach, to teach the Word of God. And so Jesus has been invited in. Jesus has an entourage. He has some disciples, some traveling companions. I don't know if it's 12 or if it's two, but definitely he's traveling. But Martha gets distracted along the way. And somehow her desire to uh, meet Jesus and bring him in is now met with some distraction. And so she's eagerly waiting for him to speak She knows he's the Lord. She calls him Lord. But here she runs into an issue of of distraction. Now her heart says uh, to serve God the best. Here is the Lord of all creation in her home. Colossians tells us this, whatever you do, work hardly, ask for the Lord and not for men. So she's trying her best to work for the Lord. Here the Lord is in her home. And it's no small thing. In fact, if I can just... I'll give you an idea of how big it was. All of Scripture, nowhere else in Scripture did someone invite the Lord or God into their home until you get back to Abraham and Sarah. So this is a huge thing that, that she has done. She's demonstrated. In fact, you are here today, much like Martha was in her house, to hear the Word of God. She is there to receive the Word of God. Mary's desire is to sit at his feet. So therefore, I will conclude that Martha's desire is to sit at Jesus' feet. But sometimes what we desire to do and what we actually do is two different things. Can I get a a humble amen this morning? Yes, Lord, see me and forgive me. Because we have this real desire, but there is this distraction. And so what keeps us from fulfilling that desire? What keeps us from picking up the Word of God? What keeps us from sitting in the presence and really sitting at the feet of Jesus? What keeps us from being able to do that? When I know it's your desire to do so. When I know it's my desire to do so. And what I see in in Martha's life is that Martha's dilemma wasn't that she lacked desire. It was that her distractions outweighed her desire. Is that you? Today, do do you find yourself where your distractions outweigh your desire? Because both chips are on the table. Both things are in play. Have you ever decided to sit down and read the Word of God and and your heart welcomed the idea, the Lord speaking something new to you, and you're like, oh, I wonder what the Lord has something to say today. Oh, this is one of my favorite stories. This is one of my favorite parts of Scripture. It's my favorite books. And you sit down, you begin to read, or you sit in that presence, and you're just waiting for the Lord to give you a word because you know that you need a word. You're looking for a specific word like Martha was. But somehow, somehow, kids (laughs) sleep responsibility, expectations, a lack of time, a lack of focus, 
Maybe a lack of confidence in being able to read the word or knowing how to pray. A lack of priority. A lack of dedication. Or a lack of discipline sneaks in like it did with Martha and moves you from desire to distraction. Let me just repeat that. That Martha's dilemma wasn't that she lacked desire. It was that her distractions outweighed her desire. And let me just tell you this morning, if you feel like I'm preaching hard at you, just know that I'm sitting right next to you this morning, and I'm just nudging you, and you just nudge me right back, okay? Because I know that for the Lord to, to regain focus, the purpose of this whole sermon series that the Lord told me was simply this, to regain focus. And that's what he's desiring from us. And that focus is to be able to, to focus on his word, to focus on his feet, to focus on his presence, to focus on him. And so the question really is for us today is not are you just reading your word because some of y'all would say, yeah, check. It's more than that. Are you focusing on him? Are you really sitting at his feet? Because you guys know that and I have done before. We can read a page or we can say a quick prayer, but I don't know if Jesus was ever there at that time. Because we were just checking spiritual boxes. Because to be honest, you and I love to be spiritual people. Our righteousness feels better than Christ most days. Because we feel more confident in our flesh and the things that we did. Matter of fact, have you ever went into scripture or went into prayer before? And you know you've been killing it in terms of your disciplines. And you felt more confident in prayer because of your, your, your ability to do? And I think, why is that? When really our confidence should be just as much when we have failed to do the things God's asked us to do. Because our words and our, our power of our word is not, is not based on what we do. It's based on what he's done. And so I can come into the, the presence of God every time knowing that my requests are just as powerful as if I completed all of my, my spiritual task list or I haven't. It's not about what I've done. It's about what he's done. But sometimes we hold on to those spiritual things. We hold on to those spiritual debt checklists to make us feel better. And in these moments we say, oh, Lord, I've been distracted and our prayer feels weaker. Or our time in the word feels weaker. Or even our walking out of the word feels weaker. Why? Because we're walking in our own righteousness. We've been distracted upon focusing upon him. And so here we see in verse 40, it says this, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Notice that verse 40 starts with a conjunction. It's trying to compare the two. What is it comparing? What's it trying to make a contrast of? Well, Mary is listening and Martha is serving. But the importance here, remember, the context is teaching, right? The, the importance simply is this, is that Scripture or the Word of God is being taught. And that is the priority that's going on here. Martha is distracted by much serving, and that causes her to lose the significance of why Jesus came. Can you picture that? That Martha is busy doing the things that she thinks Jesus wants, but she loses priority of really what Jesus desires. Jesus loves the fact that you work for him and that you serve him and that you declare to the world that you belong to him. But what Jesus really wants is you, is your moment, is your time. And so when we look at distraction, really it's just a matter of priority, is it not? What have we chose to prioritize? There is a significant thing that's happening here. Jesus is in Martha's house teaching 
the word of God. That is, can you imagine if Jesus met you every morning with a coffee in hand and said, are you ready? How many, would y'all wake up a little early if Jesus was waiting on you with your, your favorite cup of coffee and said, are you ready? Would you be eager to listen to what he has to say? You would until you got distracted. Because you guys know there's no, there's, no, there's no difference in that. Jesus is waiting for you. Jesus does have some coffee for you. It's called Hebrews. I'm sorry, I had thrown in there. Sorry. I just got overwhelmed by it. He's in the room and he's teaching. And notice this. Notice where the Lord drops this story, where the Holy Spirit puts this story in Luke. Jesus is about to teach on prayer, persecution, judgment, suffering, hypocrisy, greed, the Holy Spirit, righteousness, holiness, humility, the cost of loyalty to Christ, how to enter the kingdom of God, cast out demons, divorce, forgiveness. So a lot of things he's teaching here. But before he gets to those things, notice what he does. He teaches us in this story how you are to listen. Before he gets into all of these things, he shows us in Mary's lifestyle, this is how I want you to pay attention. I don't want you to be busy serving and doing things. And, and I'll be honest with you, there's, there's, there's a time where you can throw on, you know, um, you version and listen to some audio Bible in the background. There's some time for that. But, but, but listen, the things that you'll learn and the things that he'll teach is when you sit at his feet. His word is priority here. Luke is constantly writing about the importance of his word. Luke 6.46 says this, Why do you call me Lord? Lord, and do not do what I tell you. Jesus is saying, You're only, I'm only your Lord if you hear what I say and then do what I told you to do. In fact, he, he emphasizes in the next verse, 47, he says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. And go on, it goes on to talk about how, how you dig a, a deep foundation and lay, lay your foundation upon the rock and, and how you'll, you'll not be um, uh, displaced when a flood breaks out. Luke 8 says this, And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Do you hear the emphasis of this hear and do? And Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, he says this, But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So those who prioritize God's word lay, uh, lay a good foundation and are the family of God and are blessed. You know who doesn't prioritize the word of God? Those who rejected Jesus' word. Remember, not everyone received Jesus into their home. Not all received the word of God. Some people closed their doors. And those people had their, um, the disciples shook the, the dust off their feet. Who has rejected his word? Atheists have rejected his word. Agnostics, liberals, pragmatists, mystics, Muslims, Buddhists. Anyone who has rejected the Bible as the word of God has rejected his word. But even Martha as much desire as she had, acted in the same way as those who are an enemy to the Word of God. That's powerful when I realize that, that she's no different in this moment because she's received the Lord, but she's not hearing His Word. 
She's not sitting at his feet. And her life in this moment is no different from those who have rejected him from being in the house at all. Because why? Because she's distracted. Now, is Martha an enemy to the word of God? No. No, she's not. But whether you're an enemy of truth and have disdain, or you're a Martha and you're distracted, the result is the same. Neither one of you are sitting at the feet of Jesus. And that's an issue. So whether we nurture disdain in our heart or embrace distraction, both erode our dedication to the word. Do you see the sharp conviction there? For me it was, Lord, I love you. I love your word. And he says, Scott, I know you love my word, but you have to sit down with me and make time for me the way that I've asked you to. Because if you don't receive my word the way that I've asked you to receive my word, then you're no different from the person who has closed his door to my word. I'm asking you not just to be banging on pans and pots and pans and serving the other guests and catch a word now and then. I'm asking you to sit at my feet, Scott. To sit at my feet. Pay attention to my every word. To listen to not just what I'm saying but to the heart and the inflection, the intent of what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say something specifically to you, not just a general statement, not just a great doctrine, not just a great truth that may apply to your life or something you can tell somebody else so you feel spiritual. No. I'm trying to answer the prayer request that you've been praying, although you've not found the gumption, the boldness to pray it out loud just yet. I know what your heart needs. And here I am trying to answer you with my word so you can have something you can go back to and say, Lord, your word says right here, and this is the foundation that I'm standing on. But until we get along with the Lord and we're sitting at his feet, we're distracted. Church, what is it like to have the very word of God in your home? Can you imagine Martha having the very word of God in her home and not be able to hear it? walk past it, see it all the time. And it's the same with us. Where's your word at today? Is it on the nightstand? Is it on the lampstand? Is it on the coffee table? Is it in the bookcase? Is it a little dusty? Are you on your word? Are you in your word? Are you sitting at the feet of Jesus? Are you, are you doing more than just reading that one-page devotion with the scripture at the top. Are you really in your word? You're saying, Pastor Scott, you're hitting hard today. Y'all listen to me. If the Lord says he wants our focus, there's a reason he wants us in this word. There's a reason why he wants us dedicated to his word. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what tomorrow brings for your life, for your family, or for this church, or for this nation. We don't know. But I do know this, is that if we're not in that word, we'll not be ready. We'll not be ready. In fact, there was a, a movement that I studied not too long ago. It was called the Velvet, the Velvet Revolution. The Velvet Revolution was when um, Russia's uh, communism walls fell down. And the thing that brought it down was a family that studied their word. I wish I had time to tell you of all the details, but here's what it boils down to, is that a man who was, who was captured by socialism and then communism, he said, you know what, I'm not going to believe the lies, I'm not going to accept their new norm, I'm not going to accept their truth and call it, or accept their lies and call it a truth, I'm going to buckle down with my family, and this is all we have. 
I can't, even, I can't even say 2 plus 2 equals 4 in public without going to jail. But right here in my house with my family, I can read absolute truth. I can read the Word of God. And he maintained that disposition until the Lord opened it up. And he had other families he could pour into. And he taught those families. And they began to do the same thing until one time and one day at the right moment, at the right time, the Lord used a whole bunch of people who were underground Focus on the word of God to overthrow, single-handedly, the greatest communist party that the world has ever seen in Stalin's uh, Russia. How? Why? Because they were sitting at the feet of Jesus. We don't know. We don't know. We don't, we don't know what sickness is coming for you. We don't know what tragedy is coming for you. But I do know this, that no matter what comes your way, if you're at the feet of Jesus, it means nothing. You can overcome it. You can, you can overwhelm it. Distractions aren't always detrimental either. Sometimes distractions to us uh, are, are things that we feel like are the right things, the good things. So, so don't let me paint Martha like in a bad light. Don't let me make her seem like she's, she's off. She just missed it bad, Martha. She's a horrible house guest. She's a horrible disciple. That's not it at all. I want you to think of the cost of Martha. She was being gracious and polite. She was being a good hostess. She was feeding possibly 13 men, you know, plus Jesus if he was eating. She was waiting on the many, talking to the many, but desiring to be with the one. It's not cheap to feed hungry men, is it, Shane? <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not cheap. And so here's what I see, that quite possibly, um, she was giving a lot. Matter of fact, she's probably even being talked about because not everyone was welcoming Jesus. And so there was a lot of sacrifice involved here. Not just her time because she didn't have to have Jesus in. Not just her money because she had to feed them. And not just her talents. That was her thing. We see throughout Scripture that Martha was great at hosting and serving. And so here she is giving Jesus her time, her talent, right, and her treasure. And it's not what the Lord wanted. You ever thought that sometimes you're given what you thought was your very best and then the Lord says, but that's not necessary. Because here's what he says to Martha. He says to Martha, he says, one thing is necessary. I appreciate all you're doing, Martha, but one thing is necessary is what he wrote in verse 42. David wrote this, Psalms 27, 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, that I may sit at his feet, that I might be in his presence. Paul said the same thing. In Philippians 3, 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, that I might be eternally be in his presence. And Jesus even echoed this. He says in Luke 18, 22, one thing you lack, come, follow me. It's about him. It's the one thing. It's about him. It's being in his presence. It's pursuing him. But sometimes we get distracted. And the problem with distracting or the pitfall of distraction is sometimes distraction can lead into discontentment. And so Martha now has a discontent heart. 
Luke 10, 40 says this, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Now, now maybe she couldn't get Mary's attention. You know, she's in the background trying to, you need to help me get about that, right? Get, you know, maybe she wasn't listening to that at all. Or maybe all the clanging in the kitchen, like, I really wish someone would help me. Y'all ever heard, heard that before? Or, or maybe her complaining to everybody. Maybe none of those things got Mary's attention. And so for some reason, Mary, uh, Martha has the audacity to walk into the center of the attention of the room and say to Jesus, who is in the middle of the room teaching, and everyone is listening, and she says, do you not care? I, I, can, you, can you just see this for a second? I mean, I mean, if you said that to someone like me, Pastor Scott, do you not care? But to say that to Jesus, you know, the disciples, they got real quiet, I'm sure. They couldn't say nothing because they themselves told Jesus, do you not care? When they were all on the ship with the winds and waves, right, and, and, and Jesus was down there sleeping, and they said, Master, do you not care that we're perishing? They've been there themselves. They weren't going to say nothing. But the problem is simply this, is that, is that her distraction has turned her desire into discontentment. But the problem then has become that her discontentment has now diluted or made her delusional to who Christ is. To think that he does not care is absurd. Absurd that of all people on the face of the earth that ever was and ever shall be, the one person that will always care is Jesus. Always care. Jesus doesn't acknowledge the situation as perishing to the disciples but it doesn't mean he doesn't care. He doesn't acknowledge the loneliness of your sacrifice, but it doesn't mean he doesn't care. His word tells us that he cares just in case that lie is in the back of your head. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Psalms 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. Isaiah 41, 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalms 34 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And Hebrews 4.15 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And 1 Peter 5.7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he do you not care? Do you know who you're talking to? We must be careful, church. That distraction which leads to discontent doesn't lead to delusion. That you dismantle and disfigure who Christ is, and you say, oh, Pastor Scott, I don't think I've ever done that before. But if you've ever been pain, or you've ever had pain in your body and sick in your body, then, then that, that, that distraction in your body has probably led you to a place of discontentment a couple times, and you've had those thoughts, well, he's not a healer. You change his nature. You change his character. Why? Because you were distracted by other situations. Your pain and your sickness Maybe your bills and lack of income 
has created a distraction in your life, and now you're discontent with your situation, and now you're questioning, is he really Jehovah Jireh? Is he really my provider? Because if he was, how come these bills wouldn't be so high? If he really is a deemer, redeemer, then how come I'm still struggling with the same old addictions? If he really is who he says he is. Father, if you can mend anything, if you can fix anything, then why am I still struggling with my marriage? Have I not been praying? Have I not been dedicated to read your word? But now my situation has become so increasingly difficult that I'm distracted by the pain of it, and I'm in a place of discontentment. I'm not okay with how things are, and it has become so heavy that I'm changing how I see you. Oh, distraction is bad. you dig into us. But notice how Jesus responds to Martha's accusations. As the worship team comes back, look at how Jesus responds. Verse 41 he says, but the, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. I love the fact that he says, Martha, Martha. It's not just Martha, you're troubled. Martha, you're broke. Martha, you're messed up. But you can hear there's care in that statement. There's sensitivity in that statement. And he says, you're troubled. In fact, I would say this. Jesus explains what our distractions really are when we have good desire. He says they're good things that we're anxious and troubled about. So, so what are the good things in your life that you're anxious and troubled about that cause your thoughts to consistently go back away from him and not on his word or not on his presence or not on his character or cause you to be discontent? You look around and say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you all that I can, but look at this person. They're living their best life here, their best life there, and I'm in this struggle, and I'm doing everything I can. And, and you, you don't know that you are, but complaints are always a good sign of discontentment. And I'm not even against the fact that you can complain to the Lord because the Lord loves to hear your complaints. I'm just saying, watch your heart and watch where you're distracted at. Because the Lord says that distraction is the good things that we're anxious and troubled about. Not just thinking about. You guys know we're not supposed to worry. But the word troubled literally means this. Remember how the angel used to trouble the waters? Trouble simply is this. Is that something was serene and peaceful and good, but something external came in and disturbed it and troubled it. And we have good things in our life. We have time. We have talent. We have treasure. But something external to those things have come in and troubled it. And now we're anxious about it. And Jesus says, those good things that I gave you, that you've been a good steward of, you've allowed something else to trouble it. And now it's distracted you. And if you're not careful, your distraction will lead you to discontentment, which will cause you to look at my nature differently. That's a dangerous road, but it's a very well-traveled road. Let me give you some help this morning before we take communion. I read this a long time ago. It's helped me before. It took me a while to kind of figure out what it's trying to say. But it says, it was a, it was a, a book I was reading about managing the many hats and, uh, of past, uh, pastoring. And it says, planned neglect is the secret to success in finding time to spend at his feet. I want you to hear that again because at first it doesn't make sense to me. Your, your, your IQ is probably a bit higher. 
but planned neglect. Do you know what they're saying there? That means when you're thinking about your day and the things you have to do and your responsibilities, planned neglect is it's the same thing we do with the Word of God sometimes, right? We know we want to read it. We know we want to spend time in the Word. We know we want to spend time in His presence. But we know that somehow our intent has caused to satisfy us. Just our intention to do it has now become better than, our, better than us actually doing it. And he's saying this. He's saying that planned neglect, knowing that there are some things in your life that you want to do, but I'm going to neglect this today to make sure Jesus gets his spot. It's a matter of priority. I read a book one time called Choosing to Cheat. And it simply says this, is that there's work and there's family. And there's only 24 hours in the day. And you know that now all the family and now all the work is going to fit in 24 hours. But you got to choose to cheat somebody. Somebody's not going to get all your time. And so the book goes on to say is, don't cheat your Lord. Don't cheat your family. But cheat your work when you have to. And I think this is what this, this pastor is saying here. We have to plan neglect. If you feel like you're too busy... You're too distracted. Plan neglect is the secret to success in finding time to spend his feet. Church, let me ask you, have we allowed all our well-intended desires to distract us because they have now become items of anxiety and trouble? Are we distracted because all the good things have now become things of anxiety and trouble? Have our schedules, our hobbies, these are not bad things. Our commitments, our relationships, our responsibilities, are those things robbing you from sitting at the feet of Jesus? Because you guys know if you're not there on time or if you didn't own up to what you said you were going to do here or you're not fulfilling this, or there's all these different reasons. The thing is simply this is that if you think about not doing all that you've asked yourself to do and you've demanded yourself to do and that creates anxiety and troubles you and it robs you from the feet of Jesus, that's a distraction. And Jesus is saying, listen, it's not that those things are wrong, but like he says to Mary, there's only one thing that's necessary. There's only one thing that's necessary. That is to hear his word and to do it. And so I, I want to challenge you this week. Do the necessary things. Do that thing which is necessary. Will you stand with me this, this morning? a good response for us today is simply that is to do what he's asked us to do the Lord gave us two ordinances for the church one is baptism we're going to do that next week that's awesome but today we're going to do communion in fact Jesus literally says do this in remembrance of me and so today we're going to remember him we're going to, we're going to have communion we're going to sit at the feet of Jesus and so before we do that as the ushers go ahead and come on down to the front I want you to, to inspect your life, prepare your heart. We practice open communion here, which means you don't have to be a part of the church, but we do need you to inspect your life. The word says this, for I receive from the Lord, but I also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. But then he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So the question is, is how do we do this in an unworthy way? 
Let me just give you three things to, to, to solve your, your questions in your mind. If we don't demonstrate a pursuit of God, not perfection, but a pursuit of God, we're acting in an unworthy way. If we're demonstrating that we're better because we're taking communion better than other people, we're acting in an unworthy way. And if we're not demonstrating that we're walking in freedom and not continuing in a, in a, in a path of slavery, we're walking in an unworthy way. And so this morning, will you just inspect your heart and say, Lord, show me how to take this cup in a worthy way. Father in heaven, I pray. Lord, anoint us today. Allow our hearts and our minds, God, to be with you. Holy Spirit, search us out. God, make everything that's wrong, make it right. Our, our desire, Lord, is to hear your word and do it. We ask it in Jesus' name.